when the Buddha was giving guidelines to his uh, followers for teaching the Dharma, giving talks such as this, one of the rules he established for the monks and the nuns was that they weren't allowed to give a Dharma talk to someone who was lying down unless they were someone who was sick or was injured and unable to sit up. And uh, I think it's an interesting guideline that he established in terms of what that means for our relationship to, to listening, to hearing the teachings. Sometimes our body is in a condition which it really can't sit up, and that's really okay then, if we need to be lying down. And apart from that, it's, uh, I think it's actually supportive to, uh, to be upright, and if one needs some support from a wall or a chair to seek it. What we're engaged in here, as far as I'm concerned, is or what we're engaged with is a, a process that has the potential to challenge us in many ways. And we endeavor to create a, a framework of support, of kindness, of self-respect as a basis for entering into the, the truth of our life, into the direct contact with our experience. And we can see that at times we're hesitant to turn towards what's not easy for us. This is understandable. At times, of course, we wish for more ease and comfort. And of course there's a place for that, and rightly so. And this practice is not just a practice of looking at our own inner process, not just a practice of attending to our sort of conditioning and starting to discover and realize at an individual level what is possible for us as human beings. But it's also something that calls us to courageously acknowledge our situation and to see what may be possible by way of response to that. Some of the things we talk about in context of the Buddha Dharma, they're, they're not popular topics, you know, talking about suffering, about dukkha. You know, it's sort of like, it's not the sort of thing that if you put it all over the, uh, the advertisement for a retreat, you know, come along. Sorrow, pain, grief, lamentation, and despair are available here. You know, it, you can't imagine it's going to fill, fill all, the, um, all the booking spaces. And, uh, you know, the Buddha invited us to contemplate our mortality, to reflect on this, the impermanence of our very existence. And yet, sometimes, even when we find ourselves committed to what is true, we find it nonetheless not easy to really take in some of the larger dimensions and expressions of that in our life and in our worlds. And I want to speak a little this evening in regard to the kind of larger situation of our life and our world, which I think is very much a part of why we might be here, certainly for myself. My concern for what I saw taking place around me in the world was very much a part of why I became engaged in spiritual practice seeing that others, and of course at times myself, were bound, it seemed, and compelled in patterns of behavior and activity that were leading to harm, to suffering. 
And it's something for us, I think, not easy as a, as a human community to consider the degree to which this is part of what we observe, what we encounter when we look into the world. To be able to talk about that and name that together is something I think really important. I was recently in teaching in Sweden and uh, one of the one of the participants on the retreat was was telling me how they'd felt they wanted and needed to have a conversation with their teenage son about their concerns in regard to the climate emergency, the circumstance of our world born of human activity, where the climate and ecology we depend upon is is fundamentally threatened, destabilized, undermined. And and was really concerned, is it okay to talk to my son about this? I don't want to upset him, I don't want to disturb him, she thought. And of course, we may not be surprised to hear that when she began the conversation, he, he turned to her and he said, and she was saying, you know, I, I something I want to tell you. And, and he says, Mum, I know. I know. And there's actually a relief in being able to say, oh yeah, we know this together, it's shared knowledge. But sometimes what we share, we find it hard to approach. You know, our society, our culture doesn't encourage us to talk about mortality, to reflect on the fact that we aren't here forever, as we've said. And not just we, but in fact, those we love and the things we love. So it's something the Buddha invited us to contemplate, to reflect on. And so much harder to contemplate and reflect on the ways in which collectively and perhaps individually we also see how we contribute to the suffering that's here in the world. And of course for many and for myself this has been a, a central question in my life is seeking to find ways to contribute to the well-being, to the healing, to the, the caring for, the nourishing, the uplifting of myself those I'm close to and connected with and the larger world of human life and beyond human life to kind of encompass the whole of what we could call existence. Feeling that to be what seems to make sense, that to be which seems to be meaningful for life. And so... In the last several months, I've found myself more and more engaged with, concerned with, and involved with responding to the situation of our world. Having spent much of the last 30 years primarily orienting towards the, the inner aspects of human development, the cultivation of wisdom and compassion that flows from the practice that we're engaging in here the quiet, courageous contemplation and engagement with our inner experience. And as I was contemplating what to speak about this evening, I, I found I couldn't really settle on one of the traditional topics of which there are many that could be covered in a talk such as this. And I realized that what I really wanted to do was to just in a way, name in the space and just take a little time to respond to and acknowledge the fact of our human situation. Because it's one thing to acknowledge mortality and of course all of us probably have contemplated or recognized in some way or form that we're not here forever. We might recognize that we don't always quite live our life as if that's true and that's kind of one of the invitations of spiritual practice to contemplate, to attend to that. And yet it seems like another whole kind of extension or expansional leap of engagement to, to really let in, if it seems to be, and it certainly seems to be from the, the science that's being reported very clearly and 
strongly that again I guess you know there's part of me that it's a little bit like the the mum talking to her 16 year old in Sweden and I'm sort of thinking I want to talk about this and it's sort of like I want to be able to name it and I'm assuming in some level I'm not going to be telling anybody anything they don't already know and of course there might be some details on that um, but what is it to actually turn towards that for us as human beings spiritual practice at some point it seems has to include our attention to and our concern for the collective behavior of humanity the collective activity of which we are part And to see what responses may feel appropriate to that. And so how is it for us just to have this named in the space? You know, I could say more. There's degrees of stating the facts that one could pick up. I'm imagining that most, if not all of you, are aware of the the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report that came out last year. The report drawing on a vast amount of research over several years from bodies and experts around the world with the quite clear and direct conclusion that the way we're living on this planet needs to change. That if we don't in the next 12 years fundamentally shift the production and emission of greenhouse gases that the temperature rises this planet will be subject to will make it an environment we can no longer live in in a healthy and a safe way. It will be perhaps unsustainable for our human communities as well as the communities of life that we share this planet with in so many ways. And the report that came out really just a few weeks ago now, the uh, IPBES report, UN report on biodiversity, recording the profound and accelerating loss of species to extinction of biodiversity and of ecological habitats being degraded and destroyed. And in one sense it's just information, in another sense it's so much more than that. And for me, one of the trainings of spiritual practice is our training in the capacity to turn towards what is here, even when that's not easy to do. We have so many invitations and opportunities to do this, exactly this, as we practice. And we come into contact within our world of heart and mind and body. That which isn't easy for us. And we learn also to to make contact with, to open to that which maybe touches, which nourishes, which uplifts us. And the simple contact of our feet on the earth can be a, sometimes a real counterbalance to the, the sorrow we might feel in our hearts. And the sense of warm community we might feel just sitting in solidarity or listening to each other in a small group, hearing, can somehow seem to provide, a, again, a support or a counterbalance to sometimes the deeply tender experience that we're encountering or that we're hearing about. And it's interesting in the, in the small groups and today and in many days just like this on retreats where I'm teaching, something so touching about the way that the sharing of what's not easy for us brings a sense of connection, brings a sense of resonance and warmth and, and a kind of a heldness that's palpable. And it's really in this spirit that I, I felt that I wanted to speak in this way this evening. And I'm not about to kind of turn it into a sort of a, a large small group meeting where we all take a moment to, to speak. 
But part of me thinks that might be a good idea. Don't worry, I don't think that is actually a good idea. There's a few too many of us. But I just would like to invite you to notice what it feels like to hear, to receive what's being spoken. You know, what I find when I contemplate this, and that, that, you know, in quite simple terms, it's not just about enough of the polar ice caps melting so that we're going to be underwater. That might happen, it might take quite a while. But the, the destabilization of the climate is already leading to famine in parts of the world. And famine leads to migration, refugees, and it leads to conflict over the scarce remaining resources. And these are prospects for our world that we are subject to, that may be the pathway of our human species. And some of the reports that uh, have come out in recent times have suggested there's a, a risk that the human species won't survive this. It's like there's a collective karma, a collective result to the way of our living, where we, insofar as we live in the world, without truly acknowledging our interdependence, without truly respecting the place, the preciousness, the sacredness, and the importance of every other single thing and being in the world. The, the fundamental wisdom of the Dharma is to understand that although we might appear and imagine ourselves to be separate, we are not. We are not separate. As Shantideva said, you know, just as we see these limbs are part of this body, could we not see ourselves and all beings are simply the limbs of embodied life. And how would we live? How would we respond if we saw that we were all part of the same body, the body of life? Embodying an awakened heart is to embody something that has to embrace, that not just has to, but in fact does embrace all of life. And so much of the way our world has been organized has been to separate and to place certain things outside of our concern, outside of our care, and in a certain way outside of our sight. And nobody planned it this way. Nobody organized it. It's not that there's someone to blame here. But we need to understand that the kind of the tendency to look away, to not want to see, that we might notice in ourselves is replicated and its impact is multiplied when it's part of the whole of our community. And though I'm not going to invite everyone to, to speak, I just really like to notice, invite you to notice, how do you feel? What's arising as you hear me speak about this? Maybe that's the truth that we don't know. I think for me it's not about whether we die or how long we live. But it's one of the responses that's appropriate. Maybe it's just, under, okay, maybe this is just how it is. But in terms of the Dharma teaching, we see that, yes, we're not going to live forever. When we acknowledge we're not going to live forever, the question is not really then any, any much about how long can I live, it seems to me. 
but how? Or not how long will I live, but how will I live? What do I want to make of my life if it isn't forever? And as a human community, what do we want to make of our life if we aren't here forever? I don't think those two questions are in conflict with the fact that we aren't going to be here forever. And I'd like to hear if there's anyone else that had a word. It doesn't have to be a, a large response or maybe just a word, a feeling, a thought. Yeah, hopelessness can arise, yeah. And at the back, some relief, yeah. Yeah, so interestingly, when we, when we hear something spoken that maybe isn't spoken, there's a sense of, ah, yeah. And there are many responses we might have. It's quite understandable. One of the reasons we don't want to turn towards something like this, or we don't, even if we know that it's true, we don't necessarily easily open to it, is because we can sometimes feel like, what can I do? Hopelessness. And when, I, when the Buddha spoke about sorrow, pain, grief, lamentation and despair as the kind of the, some of the difficult things we encounter, that sense of despair, of hopelessness, what can I do? From one perspective, of course, sorry, I didn't see who said that, so I'm, I'm trying to, it's, it's okay where that word came from, I don't need to, but just looking in that direction. You know, in one sense I find myself reflecting, yes, of course, you know, even a whole planet will eventually come to the end of its lifespan. A whole universe, likewise. There's no guarantee for any one of us that we live out the maximum possible natural lifespan. Not for all of us will that be our circumstance. And maybe the same we could see with some sort of philosophical perspective. Oh, okay, so maybe our planet or our species too. It won't live quite as long as it might have done if things had been different. And yet, I think in that, it's often the sense we have of there isn't something that we can do to make a change. And yet, my experience has been, over many years, that doing what we can always makes a difference even if it doesn't necessarily change a final outcome. To spend some time with someone who's sick and dying will not mean that they do not die. But to be with them and express one's care for them will make a difference to what has happened, profoundly so. And so in our hearts, we might not know what needs to be done. But it's an important place to begin to include Oh, a sense of hopelessness, if that is one of the responses. And equally, a sense of relief. And I kind of reflected myself what the relief might be about. It may also be that there's something else in the relief that comes when we hear something spoken that's just true. Because also what it does is it validates, I think, and it gives us permission to have our experience. Which might be that there is fear, or there is grief, or there is hopelessness, or there is anger, or there is confusion, or there is some sense of maybe, you know, disbelief. Can't be. All those responses, are they have their validity as far as I can see. And again, I'd just like to invite if anyone else has a response they'd like to express. Think global. Yeah, think globally, act locally. I remember that phrase very fondly from when I was a young man and first got involved with uh, activism. For myself, meditation is the ultimate expression of that particular um, phrase and and you you know I guess you know what it means, just for those. I don't know if anyone for whom English isn't first language, it would be obvious, but um, I'm guessing so. You, you have a vision for the world, but you try and do what you can where you are, and in a way, dealing with the forces of selfish, self-centered craving and aversion 
in the inner life is the, the localist place to work, to be engaged in activism. And I kind of understand meditation as a form of activism, of taking on the structures that lead and the patternings that lead to suffering, to harm, inwardly and outwardly, seeking to understand them, seeking to transform them. And... Uh, <coughs> And trusting that that contributes to the world, to the larger picture. The world is more than just the sum of all the individuals within it. And yet we are within that larger than we imagine ourselves to be. We have a greater role and influence than sometimes we give ourselves credit for. There's an interesting image on that score that I'd just like to share and I hope I can explain it succinctly. Scientists have, and our scientific capacity has measured the vastness of the universe. And it's, in simple terms, it's big. Okay? To not get too complicated, it's, it's really big. Okay? And it's also, it seems, our science has developed to be able to plumb, <coughs> as Gavin was speaking a couple of nights ago, I think, <coughs> to the very small things and the smallest of small that are changing really quickly in the subatomic world. And we could actually place human beings on a scale between the biggest thing in the universe, which is really big, and the smallest thing in the universe, which is really quite small, where do you think we'd be? Any thoughts? Sorry? Near the small end. Anyone else thought that? Middle, middle. Interesting. So in terms of the way that uh, the scientists measure things in terms of um, size, on the scale that's measurable or, or recognizable, we're actually somewhat over halfway. We're in the larger half of things in the universe. What that means is that the universe is less bigger than us. The known universe is not more times bigger than us than we are more times bigger than the smallest thing. <laughs> did, did I explain that in a way that sort of makes sense? There is more smallness inside us than there is bigness around us. <laughs> we are giants. I'm curious what happens when you hear that. It sort of shakes a little bit of our perspective, isn't it? Sometimes we can feel very small, as if we haven't got much ability to impact. And the forces around us, of course, are considerable. But they're not separate from us. The forces that drive our world, and when I say world here, the world in terms of Dharma teachings is what we understand, that which appears. And the world and the mind, which is what perceives, that which appears and that which perceives, arise together. They're not separate. There's not the world out there and the mind in here. They arise together. And so this world is formed by the mind, equally as the mind is informed and formed by the world. And what that means is that, interestingly, as we transform our mind, we transform the world. This is one of the ways in which inner practice is the expression of acting locally, while not just thinking globally, but having a global effect. And just as in our human body, it actually only requires a... Well, there's quite a few sort of neurons involved in making decisions, but it doesn't require everything to be part of that. So too, human culture changes. without requiring everybody to have signed up 
to the change beforehand. Margaret Mead observed a rather well-known phrase. She said, Do not imagine that a small group of concerned citizens cannot change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. To be engaged in spiritual practice, as far as I'm concerned, to be engaged in Dharma teachings, Dharma practice, as we are following the path and the teachings of the Buddha, is to be engaged with a process of changing the world, the inner world and the outer world. And to see what's possible in this for us. So I invite again if anyone has any responses to the initial reflections or what I've reflected since. The pale blue speck. So, so there can be a perspective that we find that can be helpful to see that this whole world, our planet, is just a dot within the universe. Yeah, yeah. And that can be useful. And each human being's life and what each of us feel and the seven billion of us, and each other creature, and all living things and systems in the world, nonetheless feel very deeply the condition that we're in. It's really helpful to hold that dot in the universe, that speck, that dot, it's true. And our life is gone in a flash of geological time. The whole human species was just here, or it has just been here for a flicker. And that's not the whole picture. There's a way in which we can sometimes use that to hold. So there's two ways we can use it. It can be a balance and a really useful balance to what might otherwise be more than we can hold or handle, to actually see what it would be, to contemplate that we might burn our own planet, we might cook it, and our children and grandchildren too and their community of living creatures, that this might be what comes of human activity. And it can be a real useful balance to seeing where that feels too much. But I think it's also, I would caution against holding it as a position that stops me from having to actually face what that involves. So in terms of finding balance, to see where one is standing and what's needed, what's useful, does that make sense? Do you follow what I'm suggesting there? It's really important to hold perspective. But not as a way of being untouched. As a way of having ground from which we can be touched. By our circumstance. Because I think our human heart is touched by this. Whether we let ourselves acknowledge it or know it or not, we are part of something profoundly significant this time of human existence is something where it is not set the course is not fixed the outcome is not determined and how we individually and collectively live our lives contributes to and will always contribute to how our life plays out none of us are in control and can determine what will happen even in our own lives let alone for the world all of us have an influence and an impact in our life and in the world. This is part of what it means to be here. Someone else had their hand up? Yeah. There's a side to it that's inspiring as well because we don't necessarily, well, we know what to do, we don't necessarily know how, but the problem is pretty clear. Yeah. 
And so there's something about that sense of, okay, it kind of calls forth something. When you say inspiration, it calls forth something. I sometimes, the way I find it useful to think about our condition is that uh, we're sort of aware of something, but we're sort of asleep to it. And it's a little bit like addiction, perhaps, where we realize that there's a pathway that's not actually leading to well-being, but we can't quite find a way to stop. And often what that requires is that we acknowledge that we need something greater than ourselves here. So much of the response and the way our culture has oriented us for the last, um, well, for a long time really, but certainly since the, um, in the last 35, 40 years, the, uh, the, the emphasis on individual responsibility and individual action is the primary orienting factor for our lives that's been very successful as a, as a modern cultural phenomena in one sense leaves many of us feeling like we have to try and make a difference by changing what I do. And without much of a sense that there is a capacity for collective response. Because that's not really what we've been supported and encouraged in. And it's very clear from the reports and the science that not only are we really in trouble in terms of the direction, the trajectory of our, our human activity, and which, if we don't change it, the coming generations are going to be left with a world that's not a place they can live in well, or easily, or possibly at all. But it's also really clear that we have the technology, we have the capacity to turn this around, to change this. And what we don't have is the capacity collectively to acknowledge our situation and the political will to make the shifts that are needed. I find myself in the current situation no longer able to hold the spiritual and the worldly apart. The sacred and the profane or we could say the sacred and the political and political and profane tend to go together and certainly my perception quite easily. I imagine many of you were aware of the protests taking place in London and around the world and recent months where people were making a choice to say actually we need to do something more than we're doing so far on this for myself my practice of sitting quietly and contemplating my inner life has called me to also engage in non-violent civil disobedience in a curious way cause trouble because it seems that the normal pathways don't seem to be making the changes that are needed there are many different pathways we can find we can choose to choose to stand up for what we care about equally as we take care of our hearts in the depth of concern and take care of our neighbours around the simple things that we might wish to build in our communities. But I think the process of waking up goes beyond our own journeys. In some ways, I've come to understand that Meditation practice is a form of non-violent civil disobedience. To 
to keep one's heart open in the face of adversity is one of the great challenges, one of the great practices that we learn to open again and again, to not judge ourselves in the context of our practice, to not judge ourselves or others in the world likewise. We are not to blame for the circumstance. Forces involved in where we find ourselves personally and where we find ourselves in the world are, are vast, are massive, are ancient. But we have some responsibility for how we, how we turn towards, how we engage with this. How are your hearts doing? Has anyone else got a word or three that they want to express how, how they're doing as we're speaking, as I'm speaking? Hopeful. Mm. Mm. Inspired. Tender. Yeah. Was that, sorry, I wasn't sure if I heard someone or might have just been a hmm. Hmm. <laughs> That's a pretty reasonable response to the circumstances. Hmm. <laughs> you know, what do I do with this? And for me, it's not about having to do something with this. But just allow ourselves to be permeable, to be open to, to be feeling what's here. Some of the the most inspiring and profound social shifts have come about in our world. Born of people with depth of spiritual concern standing up and saying, something needs to change. And being willing to take some risks with their comfort, maybe even with their liberty in expressing that concern. That's very much the, the essence of non-violent civil disobedience. And the Indian independence movement under Gandhi and the suffragettes and seeking the universal suffrage for women and others in this country a hundred years ago. The civil rights movement in, in America inspired by Rosa Parks and led by Martin Luther King people who care deeply choosing to stand up and say I'm willing to take a risk for what I care about I'm willing to say with regard to that which I do not feel can be allowed to continue that I'll find a way to say it has to stop And to me, this is, this is a natural progression or it's, it's completely in relationship with the process of attending to the forces of greed and of hatred, of selfishness and of disregard for others. We see that there's no somewhere else when we look at what happens to the material that we discard. There's no throwing something away it's interesting, isn't it, to contemplate that. We think throwing it away, but there isn't any away because it comes back. It's actually, it's always here. There isn't somewhere else. There isn't somewhere else. Which means that what we do touches everything. When we discard something, it doesn't go somewhere else, it's still here. But equally when we express ourselves with love, with courage, with nobility, and whether that be in sitting quietly or marching in a capital city, there's something about that that's really powerful. And there's something that when we allow ourselves to talk about what we care about and to feel what we care about, 
that we actually start to affect each other and are affected by each other in a powerful way. I was really struck after the first time I was arrested how people were really interested to talk about something they would never talk about with me. For instance, climate change or the ecological breakdown and the emergency situation there. But people were really interested to find it and to talk about someone who is, it seems, I won't use an adjective there, but somehow willing to put themselves in a situation where they were arrested. Because there's something that touches us about that. And many people find themselves moved in that way at this time. It's like there's something about the nobility of sitting and feeling that aching knee and saying, I will stay here because I want to see what's possible to open my heart and to free my mind in relationship to that which is not easy to bear. And there's equally something noble and beautiful about someone who chooses to say, I will stand up for what I care about, even though it may have an impact upon me. It touches us when we do that. And I've been inspired and touched by other people doing the same. And all of us have our own pathway to find. No one's pathway should look or need look like another's. I have no idea. I cannot say what another person should do. But I think it's so important that we listen, that we feel, and that we see what feels true and right for ourselves. And that allowing our concern for life to be at the center of the choices we make. To be at the center of what we give importance to. Because I think this is what spiritual practice is about. And there's something radical and challenging about that. And there's also something I think profoundly reassuring that we recognize in that. Because that in the heart of our hearts is, I believe, what we are concerned with. And the, the work of opening, of deepening and awakening our hearts is so central to what is possible for us in our lives. To deepen in kindness, this, this capacity to let ourselves feel our caring, our resonance with, and our appreciation for life for others, for ourselves, for this world, to let us feel. In one sense, of course, it may just be here for a flicker in the vast journey of the universe. And yet, nonetheless, and as Gavin was saying a couple of nights ago, because it's not here for that long, it is so precious. It is so precious, this existence, this life. And we know that, we feel that. And the quality of compassion that we cultivate to, to turn with a wish to care for, to wish to heal, a wish to transform suffering. Again, this is a natural expression of our connection, of our closeness to each other, of understanding we are not apart. As Shanti Deva said, you know. He said, when my foot is sore, the hand just rubs it. It's just natural. And clearly, you know, our hand and our foot, we see they're part of the same body. When we respond to others with care or to the world situation, coming from an understanding that we are not separate, that it's not happening over there, it's always happening here because there isn't somewhere else. There's a way in which the the breach in our heart where we try to hold ourselves apart, 
to try and protect ourselves. The pain of that, that, that breach, that tear, that rent in the very fabric of our being is healed when we reach across the apparent gap or the apparent separation that we see, that we perceive and make contact and express that kindness, that love, that care in whatever way is possible for us. And we need to equally attend to this capacity we have and to nourish and support it, to see what is beautiful, what is delightful, what is uplifting, what is magical in this world. Because there is so much that is blessed also, so much goodness, so much kindness, so much beauty and nobility. To allow our hearts to be nourished and uplifted by this, To find the joy that is in life that is not somehow in contradiction to its sorrow but in fact is open as we open to the truth of that which is sorrowful our capacity for holding what is beautiful and joyful is also revealed they come together these capacities and sometimes we really need to make a practice of if we're not quite able to turn towards what is, not what is not easy, what is difficult, we need to really support ourselves to do that. But if we find that's where we're always going, if that's the only thing we can see, if our attention is gathering and tightening around that, then actually the practice is to turn towards what gives nourishment and uplift. Where the beauty and the mystery and the magic of life is revealed and it's inexplicable preciousness because we see that that actually keeps or allows a balance and the deepening of that balance and equanimity as Leela mentioned last night that capacity to just know that things are as they are and that of course in one way they cannot be other than like this as some of your responses were it's like yeah as they are now, they cannot be other than this. And we do not control the outcomes. While nonetheless, we contribute to what is possible. So we are neither in charge of what happens here, nor are we somehow without an effect, without an impact upon it. A single drop in the ocean changes its level and everything we do affects everything. To allow our hearts to open to both that which is hard to bear and that which is beautiful in this world, this remarkable, mysterious, and blessed manifestation that maybe is not going to go to all the places it could. But the fact that it even got here is pretty amazing. And so the wisdom of, of bowing to this life that allows ourselves to find some peace without abandoning our engagement with it. These qualities of the heart so important. And I'm aware there's a lot more I could and perhaps would like to say, but I'm also aware that that's probably quite a lot already. So let's sit together for a few moments 
And I'd like to invite you to just check in with your heart and body and mind. Just noticing what you might need right now. Where is balance to be found? In the way your attention moves. What can support and allow you and me and each of us to include the wholeness of our circumstance? The wholeness of our life, the wholeness of this vast existence. And perhaps just to invite or allow support in any way that feels okay, a sense of what it might be to offer my life. This life is a gift we receive. We don't we don't have to purchase it, so to speak. And, and what is it to, to share, to offer that which we have received, this existence? What might we wish to offer it to, to dedicate it for? Shantideva, who I mentioned before, He spoke of his vision for this that I find inspiring. And I'd like to share it. His dedication, which I hope speaks to you too. He says, May I be a guard for those who are without protection. A guide for those who journey on the road. For those who wish to go across the water, may I be a boat, a raft, a bridge. May I be an island for those who yearn for landfall, and a lamp for those who long for light. For those who need a resting place, may I be a bed, and for all who need a helper, may I be a servant. May I be the wish-fulfilling jewel, the vase of plenty, a word of power and the supreme remedy. May I be the trees of miracles and for every being the abundant cow. Like the great earth and the other elements, enduring as the sky itself endures. For the boundless multitude of living beings and living things, may I be the ground and vessel of their life. And thus for every single thing that lives vast in number, like the boundless reaches of the sky, may I be their sustenance and nourishment until they pass beyond the bounds of suffering. And so may we all, in our own ways, in our own journeys, find the courageous and compassionate heart that invites our life of nobility as an offering for the well-being of all, 
for the welfare of all. So thank you for your practice and for your presence here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.